This is Andrea Harkins. Welcome to the Martial Arts Woman Podcast. This podcast is devoted to martial art women who make a difference. I'm so excited to have Odette Russell on the show today. She's very inspiring and very engaging, and I know that you'll enjoy this fascinating podcast interview. Stalked by a drug dealer as a teen and young woman, Odette Russell knows a thing or two about the importance of protecting yourself and being a strong woman. Since her early years, she has dedicated much of her life to training in martial arts and teaching self-defense, as well as being a mother, wife, and a professional in the workforce. Today, she's a grandmaster with more than 41 years of martial art experience. Her dabbling in martial arts as a youth turned to dedicated commitment when she met her husband, the founder of Swam Martial Arts Academy. Odette has also accomplished huge personal goals outside the martial arts, including earning a PhD in health psychology in 2018. She is a steadfast advocate of wellness and quality of life. Find out more about this amazing martial art woman, her extreme training regiments, and her dedication to martial arts in this empowering martial art interview. This program is brought to you by adventuresofharryandfriends.com. Harry and Friends helps young minds grow stronger and empowers children through stories that inspire their imagination, develop their moral compass, set positive examples both visually and verbally, and prepare kids for life's challenges. I personally recommend this new children's book series. For more information, visit adventuresofharryandfriends.com. Join the club for up-to-date information and a free gift. Don't wait. Start your adventure today. Good morning, Odette. Welcome to the Martial Arts Women podcast. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, this you're is um, a great thing that you're doing, um, bringing people together, especially female martial artists who, at least in my days when we started training, we've kind of been segregated. Yeah. You know, we've only interacted in tournaments. And, and I know I was told, you know, they're not. Your friends. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be competing against them. Right. And what an interesting and perspective. I saw, and I saw I saw that as realistic. Yeah. And colors of you know, And I right. saw the reality of that because I don't want to um, hurt my friend. <laughs> right. Know? So, I know. What a difficult yeah. situation, right? Yeah, yeah. And yet I um yeah. very close to his martial art peers from other systems, but that didn't apply to me. And there weren't a lot of women, but there were enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very lonely in the martial arts circuit. You know, we've, we've been friends for quite a while. And it's always nice for me to reconnect and, and highlight other martial art women. It's just a passion of mine. So I'm very grateful for your time. <laughs> yes. Um, before we talk about martial arts, because, you know, typically we jump right into martial arts, but I want to know a little bit about you personally. How do you, how do you typically describe yourself outside of martial arts? I describe myself as a 58-year-old teenager. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I'm a major. I like yeah. to have fun, but I don't take too many chances. I'm like a girly girl with a tomboyish edge that loves to wear deep red, red lipstick, eyeliners, yeah. but yeah. bleach, you know, um, torn jeans with combat mm-hmm. boots. So I, I like to be sexy and powerful at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, it, that's the thing about martial art women. We, outside of martial arts, we are very dynamic. We have personalities. And, <laughs> and part of this podcast is really to help bring some of that to light, who we are, both as martial artists and as women. So I find that um, very fun and exciting. So do you feel like me then that the martial art woman has many sides? You know, we're, we're wives, mothers, but... Um, and, and these sexy creatures too. And, and <laughs> yes. then we're also martial artists. Well, by nature, as a female, we're caretakers. Mm-hmm. And that's where it can get dangerous for us as a martial artist, where we tend to put everybody else's needs before ours. Yeah. And as you know, martial arts takes a long and powerful dedication. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's actually a job in itself. Right. And, um, and I know because I've been training women only for the last 20 years. And I know that if they get pregnant or if they lose their jobs or their husbands lose their jobs or someone gets sick, we put our needs last. Right. And we tend to become the lowest in the mm-hmm. totem pole. So, yes, we're the mothers, the wives, the employers, the employees, um, the lovers. But... We have, to, we have to understand that part of being a martial artist is not just about having self-love, which will enhance our self-esteem and our self-confidence, but it's also about self-care. Yeah, that's and, a great and, point. And the, and the part of us training is us taking better care of ourselves. We cannot yeah. take care of anyone else if we're not taking better care of ourselves. Right. So I don't, um, I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, you did. I, you, you did. And, and you know what that always reminds me of is when you're on an airplane and they tell you, mm-hmm. you know, when the oxygen falls down, yep. you know, mm-hmm. it, you always ha- you have to take care of the other person, a child first, but you, you know, that's just how that's our nature um, to want to need to take care of the other person first. And sometimes it's a necessity and sometimes it's, it's a choice, but we do need to remember to step back into that self-love and self-care. So that's a, a, a really great point and something that's not been brought up on the show before. So I think that's perfect. So stepping back so into martial your- arts is yeah. about, martial arts is about self-care, yeah. which is a necessity for us as women. Right, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, great, great point. I appreciate that. Let's talk a little bit about your beginnings then. Why did you begin martial arts? and? I know you mentioned you've been training for a long time. Tell us how long you've been training and why you began martial arts in the first place. I started training at the age of nine. That's in 1971. I trained for about a year under a Taekwondo system in the Bronx, New York. Of course, I wasn't serious. Um, I thought it was the coolest thing until my instructor started hitting my knuckles with bamboo sticks because my, my, um, my fist my punch wasn't straight. And I'm uh, like, okay, this is, this is a level of abuse that my parents are allowing some stranger to, 
but I stuck it out because I had no choice. And then when I complained enough, I quit it. I quit. During yeah. a teenager, I got stalked and really bad. And it was with a local neighborhood drug dealer. He wasn't a big time drug dealer, but it was, t- it was still, he still terrorized the neighborhood. Again, this is the Bronx. He was a man. I was 14. I think he was about 21. Um, it, <clears throat> he affected every day of my life because I didn't know when I left the, the building that I lived in, if I would account, you know, if I were to be approached by him, be threatened by him. Um, I had two occasions where one occasion he touched my leg and I slapped him and we actually literally got into a fight. Wow. Um, he didn't try to rape me. I don't, I don't know. I just know I wasn't going to allow it. I wasn't a martial artist then, but I was strong with my personality that although I was afraid, I wasn't giving him the power to let him know I was afraid. Mm-hmm. He would watch what, when I go home from school, what I would wear. He would tell me what he liked I wore, what he didn't like I wore. Um, I didn't want my friends to know I was afraid. But I was, and I actually handled fear really well. I learned to, and I remember one time he threatened to give somebody $5 to pour lie in my face. And it was was like a complete stranger. So I remember that was another heightened of my fear level that I had to deal with, not just being afraid of him, but being afraid of anybody walking up to me. And um, I didn't like the lack of power that I had because if I wasn't dating somebody at the time, he heightened his, 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 uh, approach to me, his aggression to me. And when, and so I, I I knew I needed to, to protect myself better. And ironically, I met my husband when I was 18 and I started training right away. And I think that was, you know, when you ask for things, you know, God will put things in Mm-hmm. in your path and what better way of training under someone you know you can trust yeah who was who was my husband and I met him at 18 and that was in 1980 and I have not stopped training since right so that was you know quite a coincidence I guess or like you said something put into your pathway to help you yes. navigate mm-hmm. these very difficult times so how did that relationship with your husband and your training there really improve your commitment toward, toward your training and then later your teaching? My husband is a gladiator. He's not from this time. He trains just like he breathes. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything about him is about training. Matter of fact, when we go to the club and we party, He's throwing hooks and jabs, and I'm like bobbing and weaving. <laughs> you know, that's, that's literally how he dances. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, is this good? Is he, is he testing me? Yeah. You know? um, and mm-hmm. so when you ask him the question, how often do you train? He said, that's not the right question. The question is, how often, when do I not train? Oh, okay. So he's training in the tub when he's watching his videos. He's, he's training in his sleep. He's training all the time. There's not a moment that goes by that he's like, okay, let's look at this, try this, throw a punch, do that, grab here. And so for me, it became my life. Mm-hmm. And he would say, he said, uh, God first in his life, then martial arts, and then me. Right. And, you know, and, <laughs> and that's not pretty cool for an age. But yeah, 
I was really excited about this person who was so phenomenally grounded and under and to know himself and to be like beyond anybody I ever met. And although he was 11 years older than me, there was still a connection that we belonged together. I mean, we've been together now over 40 years. And yeah. so um, the, the interesting part, though, was I was of me, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and I did accept martial arts because I learned to love martial arts like he he did. Um, and he never trained females. I'm just going to add this. I know this wasn't your question, but he never no. trained females. No. Yeah. So I was his first female that he trained. I think he was from that old bushido way of thinking yeah. of the hardcore. You know that some of the most vicious warriors are women but he don't know if that were the women of these modernized times. And I literally had to sit in my horse stance for six months before he would teach me anything else. Yeah. And I end up having the best horse stance of everybody else. And I'm watching <laughs> the class go on and they're working weapons and they're doing jujitsu and I'm sitting in my horse. Stance. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think I even remember saying he is not getting no sex tonight, honey, because <laughs> <laughs> he's still not teaching me anything, you know, come on. But it didn't make a difference. I, I couldn't use that. Um, I, that, that was powerless. Yeah. So using my sexuality had no influence right. in any type of my training and getting anything out of him and even discussing rank. In those days, we never had rank. We never discussed rank. Um, I would go, I would know what rank I was when I competed in tournaments based on who I was competing in. You know, you're, you're in, and I was, I think, um, an underbelt for a good seven, eight years before I was a black belt. Mm, wow. Oh, girl. Uh, oh but, my gosh. So what a long time, <laughs> but how interesting, right? Because so many martial arts are focused on, on rank. Rank. And yeah. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure as an individual, as a woman in the martial arts, you, you wanted to know your rank. And yet when, when you look back, maybe you see that the perspective really is that rank, you know, is what it is. And you just go into the situation knowing what you know. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter what kind of belt you're wearing. It's really the knowledge inside of you. Right. So. It is about the knowledge. But unfortunately... We have to give, for a modernized time, we have to give somebody a perspective mm -hmm. of the level that they're on. Yes. And everything right now has become more superficial. And for us to make a living out of it, now I'm not saying you need to have like 20 different colors, but we have to give them a gauge and an yeah. understanding. Yeah. And that when once we opened the dojo when we moved to Atlanta and I started to run the dojo, I implemented rank more mm -hmm. um, consistently. Right. Because you would be one color for a long time. And it's and he wouldn't even charge for rank. He would say, Okay, you're now a purple belt because you can get into this division, you can compete in this division. <clears throat> and he felt that you were ready. Yeah. Your your performance represented his system represented him and you had to make sure you represented him well when I competed in tournaments he never smiled he stood there with his arm folded and if he walked away that means I did bad oh. if he stood there with that stern face that means I did good and so it wasn't 
that was the difficult part of, mm-hmm. the, of determining, is this my husband or is this my instructor? Yeah. And, 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 and I had to, it took me years to figure out the difference. And sometimes I would talk back in the dojo because I, I, I went into wife mode and he kicked me out. Literally, he kicked me out the dojo. Yeah. And I think I was the only student that got kicked out as many times as I did, you know? <laughs> and he would use the term, yeah. you have no discipline and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was confusing the role. Yeah. You know, like, why are you talking to me like that? Are you crazy? Yeah. You know, and then, and then, because I went into wife mode. And, and then I'm like, okay, I have to be a student again. Yeah. Because I think he used, he utilized sometimes the Cjo mode more than he needed to. And I didn't figure it out until I got into my late thirties that he was actually, cause everywhere to him was a dojo. The living room was a dojo. The backyard was a dojo. The park was a dojo. Everywhere was, mm-hmm. the car was a dojo in the car. So it was a situation where um, he would talk to me and, and say, no, we need to do it this way. And then I'm like, okay, let me see if this, is this a martial arts issue or is this a husband and wife issue? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so I had to, you know, go back and remember I'm a chick from the Bronx that didn't tolerate disrespect, even from a bully who was yeah. five years older than me. You know, I, I, I still stood my ground and I'm going to stand my ground to Mataka Bear, the husband. But but I had to still be respectful as as C Joe, you know. As so yeah. it, that was a little confusing, but I think we figured it out. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, I think that it, that would really be confusing, and you know, like in my relationship with my husband, and we've been married almost thirty three years. When we taught together, there was a little bit of a battle because we both wanted to be the lead instructor. And at some point I had to step back and say, okay, you, cause he's the one that like prepared the classes and everything. And I would walk in and, and basically train on what we decided, but we'd both want to like take over the class and, and do it our way. Mm-hmm. So eventually, even though we trained together, he was not my instructor. But eventually I was like, you know, you're right. You put in the effort to do the lesson plans and all that work. You should be the lead instructor. So I'll, I'll take the back seat on this and I'll just assist you. And so. that's the interesting part. As a martial art instructor, you're teaching your students to be leaders. You're teaching them to believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. And so where does that line go when your students become their own leaders and in my case, okay, he's teaching me to be self-sufficient and to be resilient and to be um, um, tough and adaptable to any yeah. type of uncomfortableness, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. And I did all that. And now as your wife, I need you to trust me that I have the ability that I need you to sometimes follow me and just sl- slow down with the tetrasserin. Yeah. You know, slow down yeah. with the ego and give me the power so that I can exercise this when you're not around me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so it actually uh, helped me more when I developed my own system under him. Right. Because then my creativity really blossomed and I wasn't under his shell. And what, and what I did when I created the own, my own system, even though it swam and I'm learning from what he taught me, I was able to define it relating to what I felt was most important for us as women. Yeah. 
So let's so, step, um, let's step back for just a minute and, and okay. tell people SWAM, yeah, all over the place. <laughs> what, what SWAM stands for. And I, that's the system that your husband created. Is that right? Right. And so mm-hmm. what are the, what does it stand for? So <clears throat> SWAM was created by two individuals called Sheldon Wilkins, Wilkins and Abdul Mataka Bear. And that's the initials, the acronym of SWAM, okay. S-W-A-M. And then um, it evolved. Mm-hmm. And it became strong, wise, achieving minds. Okay. And where it wasn't about the individuals, it became its own entity. And SWAM is a combination of multiple traditional systems. Yomaquan, Shotokan, um, Hunga, Wing Chun, Aikido, um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Sunukezu Jiu-Jitsu, mm-hmm. um, and... Um, um, Lama Pai, which is the uh, the gorilla and crane. Okay. And um, there's there's others I can't remember real quick, but it gives you an idea. And my husband would train under multiple instructors simultaneously. Okay. He will go from one instructor to another. This was his job. This was his life. And he started at 11 years old and never stopped. Wow. And so, and he's he's almost 70. Okay. okay. So he um he would melt it into his system and teach it to us. He would even say to me, I want you to and, and also um American kickboxing and Muay Thai. He would also say he wanted me to go into other systems and I didn't feel I needed to because I got everything from him yeah. that I needed from him. So we have the hard and the soft that was intertwined. Now imagine me in the eighties competing only with karate. Right. It's a kata that had some soft styles. Usu, but it was it was soft. It, it had some soft styles to it. And um and that was interesting. Really well where I placed seventy five percent of my um competition. And I would compete almost every Sunday for a good seven years. Oh wow. Every Sunday. Um, so now what I took out of the system was more of what was applicable to us in modern times, because traditional system that sometimes their weapons came from farming tools, um, like the size and the sickles, um, you know, stuff like the nunchucks and stuff like that, that really, we don't walk around with nunchucks. We don't walk around with spears and staffs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so although I learned those uh, weapons, I didn't see the validity of, you know, and, and what I'm teaching women who might not have a lot of time, but need to know how to defend themselves the most effective way. And so I would, you, the mandatory, you had to learn about knives, you had to learn about sticks, because sticks could easily be an umbrella, a stick you could have access to in the street, and stuff like that. So <clears throat> um, nerve endings, pressure points was mandatory. Um, you need to know how to roll and how to fall, um, and and you need to learn ground fighting. Okay. Um, because that's important because some a lot of fights end up on the floor, and you need to know how to maneuver your body, and most important how to use their strength against them. Soft tissues was necessary. What can be ripped? What can tear? We always play a joke that we got a basement full of jars, full of souvenirs of st- body parts. That <laughs> came from people. Yeah. But it's only a joke. It's not real. Yeah, yeah. That, that way we just have fun with what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, I, I just want to add this one point because this is the yeah. So when I developed the female version of Swam, we called it Sisters Warriors Against Madness. So that's the okay. acronym, the new acronym of Swam. And this is not you're learning Swam from a black belt uh, female instructor. You're learning the, the feminine version of Swam, which is so freaking deadly. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <Yeah. laughs> and so did you, you modified it as you just suggested to be more relevant. Get, get, get. Now, SWAM is very relevant. SWAM is very relevant. But a lot of sometimes the strikes is jab reverse, mm -hmm. jab reverse hooks. Yeah. Where I was is more geared to hair pulls, chokes, grabs. Um, um, someone bear hugs you and tries to lift you up and pull you in the car. Um, how to defend yourself with a cell phone, with a water bottle, with a flip flop, with a hat, you know, yeah, using techniques yeah. like coughing, someone coughing in someone's face. Um, and then while they're, while they're covering them, their face, you know, grab their throat, go after their groin, you know, um, and, and men tend to don't go after groins. Right. You know, I guess it's like a rule, a cardinal rule. Yeah. Of we don't pull each other's groins. Right. We do it all yeah. the time. Yeah. Okay. And we're not interested in sports arts that have limitations like it's illegal to go after knees or groins. No, we are going after knees, shin, groin, eyes, ears, throat. We're going after it all. Yeah. Anything that works. Yeah. <laughs> well, very interesting. I mean, that's what women need to know, really. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's really, that's perfect what you're doing there. And I'm sure your students truly appreciate the opportunity to learn that from you. Um, so let's step back in time a little bit too. We talked a little bit about your tournaments, but I'm, I'm sure back then there were not a, a ton of women competing at that time. Um, so what was that experience like? What was the atmosphere like back then? The atmosphere was very threatening, if that's a good word. Mm -hmm. Maybe not that harsh, but it wasn't comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I was the only female in my martial arts system. And although they respected my husband, my husband beat a lot of people. And I, they wanted to take it out on me. You know, I, I did compete in sparring. I did fight as well as the katas. And I was tall. Mm -hmm. I wasn't heavy. I was very thin, but I was fine. over 150 pounds. I had to fight in the heavyweight division. Okay. And, um, but even in just competing in katas, it was very nerve-wracking because <clears throat> there were sometimes in some tournaments like 50 women I competed against. And I would sit there for a long time. So although there weren't a lot of women in the circuit, martial arts circuit, um, overall, the industry um, in New York, they had a lot of females that competed. A lot of tournaments that that's how tournaments was very common or very um, popular in the martial arts circuit. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that at least the part I was I was a part of, right. because that's when you really tested your skills and your skills needed to be tested. And my husband came from a tournament background when he was competing, when he started. He actually started fighting in, in a place called, uh, um, uh, what is it called? It's Madison Square. 
Gardens, and that was kind of like a fight club. They would have four ambulance every time they had tournaments. Wow. They didn't have mouth, they didn't have um, hand gears, shin mm-hmm. guard gears. They had tape in their hands. They didn't have cups, nothing like that. Now, when I competed in the 80s, it wasn't as bad. It was a little more structured and organized. You did have equipment, but you didn't have chest protectors. If you wore a chest protector, you were considered, I think they were considered you weak, not like now. And the goal yeah. was you shouldn't get hit anyway. You did. You were allowed to wear a mouthpiece, um, hand gear, foot gear, shin gears, and, and arm gears. I remember there was one particular tournament. I was in the bathroom because I, I always have butterflies in my yeah. stomach. And I, was, and, and I remember asking my husband, I was like, do you get scared? He's like, I don't get scared. And you shouldn't get scared. And I was like, there's something wrong with me because I'm terrified. <laughs> you know? I was like, every time, I don't care. I don't care who I was fighting this little girl. I was afraid, you know? And I thought there was something wrong with me until I learned that's a natural process that your body goes through whenever you're concerned. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, the stress hormones are released and, and, and your body's preparing yourself for fight, flight, faint, or freeze, you know? And so... And so I remember I went to the bathroom and I overheard them talking about me and they said, yeah, I'm going to get disqualified because it was semi-contact tournaments. You weren't supposed to hit. You were supposed to show control, but you always got hit. Yeah, <laughs> so right. Hit. right. Um, but, um, but I remember one said, yeah, I'm a bleeder. You know, I mean, she's going to really try to hurt me. Yeah. She's going to bleed me. So I was like, damn, man, this is some rough stuff. And I didn't have like another female that was part of my camp that we could talk about, that we could cheer each other on. Again, you know, I had the other brothers who were very supportive. My, my, um, my martial arts peers, male peers, counterparts were very supportive, but they weren't females. Yeah. And it was just different. Mm-hmm. And they had their own, their own bouts they had to deal with. And so I never, I, I never liked that feeling of loneliness. Um, although I did well. I still felt I would have handled it better if I had female uh, um, students who were experiencing this with me. And I think that's why it was important when my females compete in tournaments that we're all close together, that we're that we bond and we interact because I never had that. Yeah. And um, so it was a lot of women. These women were powerful. These women were hardcore they had to train in environments like I had to train. We didn't have water fountains. We didn't have air conditioning. We weren't even allowed in some cases bathroom breaks during our training. Um, I remember, I remember when I was thirsty, I was told to lick my sweat. Mm-hmm. You know, that was mm-hmm. that was that was how we were trained. That's how yeah. we were trained to be gladiators. We had to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, now you got dojos that are air conditioned, water fountains, water breaks, bathroom breaks. We never had that. Right. Um, and I'm sure right now, schools that were trained like that probably had a lot of lawsuits. Right. So, you know, we, <laughs> yeah, blood was a good thing. You know, we painted off dojo floor red to avoid looking at the blood, seeing the blood. Mm. I mean, that was real. That yeah. was real. That was what our dojo was about. And these were the women I competed against. They competed in the same type of environment as, as my uh, dojo was. So this, these girls were not, these girls did not wear makeup these girls did not have their hair done some of these girls look like they didn't have their hair done for a while because they trained for so and um 
there was a, mm-hmm. you, you all everybody looked the same. They wore a gi and they all looked the same. And they made it very clear that they didn't want to be looked at as like a woman. They were on martial you were and you were and you respect each and every one of them. I was on it was an honor for me to compete against these type of women. Right. And I'm not saying these women don't exist today. I'm not saying that. Um, mm-hmm. but I have had the tournaments now and there's not a lot of women that compete. So yeah. they're lucky uh, if they're competing against five women. You know, so right. and it's and, yeah. and a lot of these women are, are, are here and they're amazing and they're strong, but the atmosphere maybe doesn't give a lot of a lot of plus plug for tournaments, why tournaments have died down. Right. I don't know the reason yeah. to be honest with you. But I'm honored that I came up in that era. That that was really an important time, and it's it's the evolution of martial arts. Over time, it changes, but you were smack dab in a time when it was very aggressive and pure, and so that's why your your yeah. story is going to be so interesting to people listening to this because we don't often get to hear these stories anymore, and it's really important to share how women have been involved in that evolution. Like we have been involved. Um, and it's, it's a great way to show women today who are practicing martial arts that there is a history to what, what we do and what we can do. Um, so stepping back again, we're going to kind of switch gears for a minute because the, the show is called the martial arts woman podcast, but we we haven't touched yet really on motherhood and, and martial arts. And I know that you mentioned you've trained through your uh, martial arts Pregnancies. while pregnant. I did the same. Yep. Um, what, how would you describe that experience? Because how did you adapt and how did you work through that? Because this is something a lot of women face. And this is a point when a lot of women stop practicing martial arts when they yes. get pregnant. Yes. And yes. so how can you maybe share a little bit about your experiences practicing martial arts during your pregnancies and how that worked out for you. Um, I have two boys and they are eight years apart. So I had my first pregnancy at 20. I was already training for two years and I had not competed (laughs) um, prior than being pregnant. Actually, my first competition was when my son was three months old. My first son was three months mm-hmm. old. That was my first competition. But my children are what you call dojo babies. And when I trained during my pregnancy, I would train my katas. I was not sparring. Um, I was not beating the bag. I wasn't mm-hmm. doing impact training. I wasn't jolting and stuff like that. But I was. it was actually very difficult because as the baby was getting bigger, my muscles and my legs were getting stronger because I had to um, maneuver my stances, my, my katas slower yeah. and more profound, more profound, which helped me know my katas so well. And I got to the point that I was actually working my katas backwards. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, and I just want to just, just share with you a little glimpse of my life as, as uh, CJ Matakabe's wife. We would go to an event or we would go to somebody's house. And, and there's not too many friends that my husband has that it's not a martial artist. 
So the only people that he interacted with that were not martial artists were more his family. Mm-hmm. Other than that, majority of people I interacted with were martial artists. And I'm talking about amazing, amazing, high-quality martial artists. And so um, we would go visit them, and he would say, okay, do your kata. Now, this is not during my pregnancy, but this is just, so regardless what I'm wearing, regardless how I'm feeling, my kata better be sharp. I, I, I better, you know, I need to, I need to be able to perform. Right. And so, and that, and, and the whole analogy behind that, and, and that also training through your pregnancy is, you think you're not going to get attacked because you're wearing tight jeans. You think you're not going to get attacked because you're pregnant. You think you, you think you're not, you know, so you have to be ready at yeah. any scenario. And that's the whole analogy. It's not, it's not, a, it's not like I was being tortured have been able to train under those circumstances and survive it. I am so proud of myself and I pat myself on the back every time I think of the type of training I endured. I am hardcore. I am always, uh, I'm the real thing because of those type of trainings. And it doesn't, I don't belittle anyone who doesn't train like that, who hasn't trained like that. I'm just saying about me. This Now, going back to the statement of the pregnancy. So um, while I was training, my babies were in the dojo. As soon as they were born, I went back to the dojo. They were in the dojo. They were sitting in the stroller. They would drool. They were whatever. Mm -hmm. They were just, you know, watching us. (laughs) They didn't cry. Um, We had weapons always in our house. They knew not to touch the weapons. Even when they were crawling, they knew not to go near our trophies. We had so many trophies in our house. It was ridiculous. You know, so triple crown, meaning he was a champion in weapons, katas, and in uh, kumite. So the thing is, is that um, um, our, our, literally our children are dojo babies. My son knew his first kata at two years old. Yeah. At two years old. So as soon as he learned how to walk, and they would mimic us. My granddaughter now is mimicking us, you know. And um, like she, she you can see she has the hand movements when it comes to the knives and stuff like that because she watches me teach. Right. And so um, it's, it's, it's not, pregnancy does not stop anything. Being sick does not step, stop anything. Even if you're injured, you're still training. You're training mentally, but you're still training. Right. This is what it means to be a martial artist. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not when you, can train is it's it, because you can train you could train mentally you could train spiritually you can always train yeah yeah absolutely which brings me really to my my next point we've talked a lot about the physicality of training but what are the other parts of training um because i think you mentioned the concept of martial arts is, is really first and foremost spiritual then mental with maybe elements of physicality being last and character building. Explore a little bit more about the spirituality and the mentality side uh, in your experiences. So this is when I have fun with training women, okay? Because I I like to go into science. And And if anyone that understands the human anatomy and the Understanding the human anatomy is really important, not just in understanding the strengths, but also the weakness, yeah. the weak areas. 
But if we were to look at the brain, the left hemisphere is the logical, reasonable, reasonable um, mechanical aspect of how we perceive and think. And that is primarily what men use, the left side, right. the rationale, okay? The right side of the hemisphere of the brain is the creative, emotional, and intuitive side. Now, us as women, we use both sides. Now, I'm not saying that we're stronger and more powerful mentally than men. I, I never said that. I just say that we use both sides, okay? Yeah. Which means that as females, and I know this doesn't go into spiritual, but kind of just mm-hmm. follow me uh, a little bit. As females, we feel things faster than males do. We feel things that are not necessarily seen. And we tend to quiet down our, our intuition side or our right side because of the loud noise that's coming out of our left side. Mm-hmm. Like, I know he's not going to hurt me because he seems to be a nice guy. I know he's not going to hurt me because he, I knew him forever or he's friends with my dad. Right. And this guy ends up hurting you because you didn't listen. You didn't listen mm-hmm. to your intuitive side. So what I like to do is focus on the females to enhance that side, to listen to it, hear it, uh, find out why it's talking to you. Like, where is this coming from? Yeah. I also like to teach them what's the difference between being um, paranoid and, and, and intuition or being insecure and intuition because there's a difference. So if we could focus on things that not the energy, mm-hmm. very real. If we can read it, if we, are, if we use more than the senses that we're taught, we're taught to, to focus on the five senses, which taste, hearing, um, um, smelling, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. more senses than that. Yeah. If we allow ourselves to build on those other senses, then as females, we are less likely to put ourselves in situations. And that's the most important part of our training. So, yet yeah, it's okay to be kumbaya and be spiritual and be, um, be in sync with one and all this and all that. But most important, we need to also understand there are bad people in this world. There are yeah. people that get up every day and say, who can I hurt today? Mm-hmm. And we got to make sure we are not on their radar. Yeah. And the primary way that we can learn that is by seeing them before they see us. Or Yeah. So my goal as your instructor is to enhance that side of you, that side that is not the how to block and how to punch and how to strike and how to rip and how to tear and how to, you know, that part. That part is the part you never want to have to use. But it's okay, the atmosphere changed in this room, I need to leave. That's the part you need to use. Right. The avoidance. Yeah, the awareness and the avoidance. That's very interesting. I don't know if I answered your question, did I? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, okay. (laughs) You know, it doesn't matter. And you'd be like, okay. It doesn't matter really. The the questions are really just to help guide, to help promote a conversation. So, you know, I... I don't care if the question is exam- answered exactly. It's really just about. It's the just information really about, was. Yeah. The information was pretty cool. Right? Yeah, it's just really about okay. sharing and giving you some topics yeah. to talk about. But um, so we've covered 
so many topics and maybe we haven't gotten to everything, but I don't want to hold you up too much, too much today. So I wanted to step back also and just talk a little bit about your accomplishments. Um, And of course, uh, your PhD in health psychology, because I'm sure that comes into play with your martial arts. So tell us, let's talk about your, your PhD in health psychology. So I didn't want clinical. I wanted psychology, but I didn't want clinical. Clinical is too dark for me. And I'm, I actually just acquired my PhD in 2018, mm-hmm. which took seven years to get. All right. And, oh, uh, how awesome. Oh. And my dissertation topic was on the social, cultural acceptance of obesity among African-American women. Okay. Which is another topic. Anyway, yeah. um. <clears throat> What I wanted to better understand is how to help people who go through minor or major hiccups. So we're not talking about someone who has bipolar or someone who has uh, a hardcore depression or anxiety that needs medication and needs chronic therapy. I'm talking about us. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about everyday individuals that have problems in their lives with their mate, with money, with their kids, with their health, and just want to be guided in the right direction. Just that little push to get them back on track. Yeah. And so what I loved to do through the health psychology was study behavioralism. So understanding a person, not by what they're saying, but by, by their behavior, which is really the truth about who they are, is their behavior. So, um, so that was heavily applied into my martial arts training mm-hmm. because, again, it, it, it all falls into place of how do I sense someone's energy change towards me? Like, like for instance, let's say you're having a conversation with a stranger in the street, and then all of a sudden he shifts his thinking that, hey, I can steal this necklace from her. Or, hey, she, she, she says something that triggered something in me that made me think that I can abuse her. Yeah. And and I need to now recognize that he's changed. I need to know that somehow, somewhere along the line, something has changed between him and I. And I need to figure out how I get out of it. Or I need to be prepared that he's going to start swinging. I need to, you know, so it's like giving you that heads up that something's changed. It's just like a con artist who came to you with the intentions that he needs help or there's something going on. And, and, and to lower your guard so that they can take advantage of you. So it's just, it's just uh, observing and being aware of that. Now, human trafficking is something that's real. And it's something that could occur to anybody, okay, being snatched off the street right. because of the different components that they are using your body for, whether it's for organ harvesting, whether it's for sex trafficking, whether it's for laboring, whether it's for... Um, surrogate breeding, you know, there's, there's like a list of them. So my mindset has not become like a criminal's mindset, but, but an, an understanding that there's a criminal intent that's about to happen and I need to prepare myself so that I can avoid it or I can be ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to your question, if I can sense somebody's behavior, if I can sense somebody's intent okay then I can prepare myself now spectrum if I can help somebody 
enhance the quality of their life by giving them some really sound tools and direction so that they can see things clearer, so they can make better choices than I am doing my job as well. Mm -hmm. Making them the best of themselves. Yeah. You know, um, on all spectrums, on all spectrums. I am a better employer now because I was able to talk to my, I'm a better employee, I'm sorry, because I was able to talk to my employer Mm -hmm. on he needs to change the way he speaks to me. Or I have a better relationship with my children. You know, so it's, it's, the quality of life is everything. Yeah. And being a martial artist is about quality of life. Yeah, very good point. So what is your current profession as the, uh, related to your, your degree? In- Other than teaching martial yeah. arts? Yes. <laughs> okay. Outside I of am, martial um, arts. Yeah. Yeah. I work for a wellness facility. I actually work for two. Um, one now because of COVID, a lot has changed, Mm -hmm. you know, where a lot of things went to through zoom and stuff like that. But I, um, I do work for the living food Institute as, and what I do work there, I conduct what is called the life defense workshop and the life defense workshop teaches individuals to stop sabotaging their lives by past traumas. Okay. And so it helps build their superhero inside themselves. And then the, uh, and my primary job that I work for is, is another wellness center called the Whole Life Health Center, where I am the assistant director in the marketing and community affairs. And because of the covert, we haven't been doing a lot of community mm-hmm. activities. Right, right. So I'm not really doing a lot of activities with that company, which is fine because I've been putting a lot more of my attention on my uh, students. Right. And let's finish up our interview today, just chatting a little bit about your, your rank and your current title and anything else you'd like to add that we didn't bring up today. Okay. Okay. Um, I am a ninth degree black belt. I've been training for 41 years. Um, I've been training 41 powerful mm-hmm. years. So let me say what the difference is. I've met people who said they trained 40 years and only trained 20 of those 40 years because 10 of those years they stopped. And so like they started 40 years ago. I have never right. stopped training. I've always trained. So, um, um, so okay. <laughs> so I've been training real hardcore 41 years along with training with an instructor while he was in his prime which is different than training with an instructor who is not in their prime who's kind of burnt out or whatever so it's and i'm not saying that training with someone who's not in the prime you don't get quality you still get quality but it's it's just a different type of training because they are harder on you and they're experimenting on you because <laughs> they're still figuring things yeah, out yeah. and, and they expect you to work harder, you know, um, it's, it's, it's kind of where I'm proud of that type of training. And I am also the inheritor of the system. So along with me having a division of my system, I am also eventually when my husband retires going to, going to control all of Swam Nation 
And so I am incredibly, incredibly proud to have that title. I share the title as inheritor with my two sons. So it's not a burden I have to carry mm-hmm. on my own. The SWAM students, male and female, are phenomenal. The character building is a big part of that. And you actually can tell uh, a SWAM student because of the discipline that they just carry. It's just amazing. The high levels of respect that they have for humanity, which highly means women and children, is just incredible. Um, So... Wonderful. Yeah. I'm so proud to be part of that. Yeah, you should be. You really should be. Mm -hmm. I've had a wonderful time talking to you. You are a grandmaster. You do so many wonderful (laughs) things. Oh, yeah. I forgot I'm a grandmaster. Yeah. Yeah. You're such a a, uh, strong woman and someone who shares your knowledge and your stories, which helps other people. So I truly appreciate your time today. It's been really wonderful talking to you and I can't wait to post this. It'll be a few weeks before this one gets posted because I have several podcasts to publish, Absolutely, but um, I will definitely get this out there and share some of the highlights. I'll also create a blog post separately and that will list your, your biography information too. So, okay, great. So I wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time for giving us a voice and a platform, um, especially for us being females, that there aren't a lot of platforms to showcase us. And thank you for doing that, for writing your books, for um, creating these type of venues that gives us that voice. Yeah. Thank you again. Thank you, Odette. All right. It was an honor. Bye-bye. <laughs> Take Bye. care. Okay, bye-bye.